Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Once again, to the mud bugs for playing us in, I am your host, Poser, and this is the Sneaky Good Pod, who is enjoying a very nice long bye week as we cruise into Utah State. And with me, as always, is my producer, Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. And nobody else, because they've ditched me. Oh. I feel very sad. I know. I'm very unlovable. <laughs> very, very unlovable. Maybe they just haven't now, to know you that well yet. No, the the more people know me, the less lovable they find me. Just <laughs> ask, just ask my ex wives. <laughs> hey, there's more than one. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We we've left a trail of tears. Um, yeah, and somehow I've compared my love, my history of love life to the uh, genocide of the Cherokee people. So <laughs> we're gonna start off insensitive and just go from there. <laughs> Watch out, cancel culture might be coming for us next. Dude, I've been canceled a long time ago. I'm just, <laughs> you know, you reach a point when you have kids that, yeah, you're pretty much out of culture at that point. I, I watch a lot of YouTube because mm-hmm. that's what my kids watch. And oh my God, it's terrible. It really is. How old are your kids? Eight through 16. So so you're past the truly terrible YouTube. Like I'm still doing like off-brand Disney stuff. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, my, my two daughter... younger ones are very much into watching, you know, other people play games. Oh my YouTube. god. I don't understand what is this that? concept at all. I do not understand what? it. And and I realize this is ironic because this is an LSU podcast and <laughs> basically what we do is watch other people play games, but <laughs> And then talk about it. Oh my god. My child will sit there mesmerize and watch other people play with Hatchimals. Oh. She owns Hatchimals. She has hat. She has tons of Hatchimals, and she will watch. And every person who voices these things has had like, I don't know, ten pounds of helium before <laughs> broadcasting. Was like, yeah, little girl, I'm gonna do. Oh, you're like, oh, please kill me now. Just <laughs> make it stop. I'm begging. I'm begging to be canceled. Begging, <laughs> please cancel me. <laughs> So yeah, so now I have no one to feed off there. We, uh, Jake and Seth are off doing other things with their lives because they actually have lives. Yes. And us, the two parents, we we're still home. here. Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Though I did have a softball game tonight. So, How did that go? Uh, she went 0 for 1. She made good solid contact. But uh, she is just over 7 and she's playing against 8 and 9-year-olds. So Yeah, so it's sort of like... Yankees versus your high school team. Mm. And yeah, DJ LeMayhew is showing no mercy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all about getting better, right? That's what they tell me. And that segue alert is what else you tried to do this week. Tried to get better. They sat around. They got healthy. They did some practicing. That really tough opponent, boredom. Yeah, boredom is a tough one. They, they somehow knocked off boredom on ennui and uh, dro- dropped only one place in the polls. Wow. But looked more looked more impressive than Texas A&M doing it. <laughs> I don't think that's that hard right now. Oh, man, that Texas A&M-Arkansas game. Look, I know, I know Arkansas always plays Texas A&M close. It's an annual rite of passage. But Arkansas is terrible. And... I know we have talked a lot of smack about A&M running up to this year saying how they weren't going to be as good as advertised. But if they're Arkansas level, they're truly terrible. Someone in the uh, site cadre, I think it was PK, said something like, 
Arkansas's superpower is getting everyone to play down to their level. Yeah, they just kind of rock fight you to death. Yeah. But, man, that game was ugly. And Arkansas had a shot right at the end. They were, I think, right around the 20-yard line. Mm-hmm. Had a fourth down. They never got towards the end zone, but they at least had a chance to convert that to have a chance the game-winning score. That's – I'm going to overlook that for AM. I've been hard on AM, but that's when I'm going to give them a free pass on because Arkansas does always play them tough. But Arkansas is terrible. And for AM to be playing down at that level – it is no mystery why the Aggies dropped to the polls for winning that game. That that was not impressive. And how much is Jimbo getting paid this year? He's getting paid a lot of money. I forgot what he's getting paid. Is he like nine million a year? Ten million? How long was the contract for? Forever. He he is actually going to be AM's coach forever. Was, was it like a full decade? Yeah, it's a full decade. And I think he has a full buyout. Wow. It's bad. Kevin Sumlin tweeted out the big eyeballs. Yes, saw that. <laughs> ah, that's some fantastic shade from Kevin Sumlin. No but kidding, yeah, right? how is AM better than they were under Kevin Sumlin right now? Yeah. It's not like Sumlin couldn't recruit. He brought in a lot of big name talent. Of course, he had a problem keeping it, especially in the quarterback that's, position. That's true. But you know what? Oklahoma steals everybody's quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does not seem like a sustainable model to me. Man, Oklahoma just always steals whoever the best quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, they have mastered free agency. Well done, Oklahoma. (laughs) Uh, Really impressed by that. Because I support the transfer portal, whatever. If you're not getting playing time, football is a dangerous game that's going to give you massive head trauma. Transfer where you're going to start. I got no problem with it. Yeah. But, man, Oklahoma has mastered that. They are now on their third straight Heisman contender. Mm-hmm. Trans- Lincoln Raleigh has got the magic touch. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, and also it's one of those self-perpetuating things. It's sort of like Alabama's recruiting classes. Right. You know, once you have, once you've shown that you can do it, you continually can get guys. They'll follow the wins, basically. Yeah. Alabama has a number one recruiting class, so it's easier to get a number one recruiting class next time. The, the rich get richer. And as they said in The Great Gatsby, and yes, we're going to make a Great Gatsby reference, <laughs> the poor get children. Well, that's where I was trying to get LSU's to that self-perpetuating cycle. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said for his recruiting strategy, which is LSU's recruiting strategy has always been put a wall around Louisiana, get the guys in state, and everything will take care of itself. Yeah. And Cocho is trying to take it that extra step where he's like, okay, I want to get the Louisiana kids, but now I'm going to catch cast that national net and I'm going to supplement this class with five-star talent from out of state. I'm going to make LSU a destination and LSU is not quite there yet. I mean, they are bringing in out of state guys, but it's, they're not quite that Alabama brand. Yeah. You know, they're not quite USC when they're at their peak, but they're beginning to win battles that way. And if LSU can win this year, I think they can continue on this recruiting onslaught that Orgeron is on right now. It's a long-term strategy and it seems to be paying off for him. Yeah. Well, we've pulled what? We've pulled from California. We've pulled a lot from Texas. We have guys from Tennessee, from Florida. Yeah, well, Texas has always been – I mean, it's right next door, so yeah. I don't really count that quite as much. East Texas especially is Louisiana light. Uh-huh. You know, particularly when you're in the Houston area, yep. because that's when you start getting away from the major influence of Texas. Because if you're an in-state Texas kid and you're from Houston, LSU is not that much further than UT. Right. I don't want to say it's easy to pull a kid from Houston, but it's a lot easier than, say, from Dallas. Mm-hmm. The bye week was, I don't want to say it was needed, because right after Vanderbilt, but that was a surprisingly chippy game. And we got a couple of injuries out of it, so you want those guys to rest up and get healthy. Yeah, and there was a lot of injuries going into it, though I'm still of the opinion that a lot of the injuries are of the variety of guys are hurt, but if they were playing Alabama, they would have played. Yeah. And I I think it's better to play it safe because you don't need these guys to beat Vanderbilt. You don't need them to beat Utah State, but it's frustrating. And I think it's one of the big things that's leading to kind of these efforts because it's not just that the team is playing shorthanded. They're not playing with full intensity, particularly yeah. on defense. And I think that stems from the coaching decision to say, okay, we're going to hold these guys out 
because we don't need them to beat Vanderbilt. So therefore the other guys, oh, well, the coaching staff is telling me this game isn't as important, so I'm not going to give 100%. Mm -hmm. I don't think people consciously say that, but I do think there's a subconscious thing where it kind of perpetuates on itself. Right. Speaking where winning (laughs) perpetuates itself into great recruiting, you make one decision where you don't take a game 100% seriously, it starts to snowball. And I think that's what we've seen in some of these outings where LSU just, they haven't been totally mentally there. Yeah. Well, I look at some of the guys who are out too. They are the leaders of those units too. People, the younger players look to them for guidance and it's missing because they're not, they're not on the field. Yeah. I mean, Rashard Lawrence for sure. Kalevon Chason's number 18. I mean, that's supposed to be the leader of the team. Right. And if he's not there, it's hard to get that defense to gel. It is disappointing so far how Grant Delpit has played. Yeah, he's been really quiet in terms of yeah. you, you don't hear his name called a whole heck of a lot during broadcast. I think Stingley has been their best player in the secondary. Stingley's been just been incredible. He's been everything as advertised so far. But outside of Stingley, I think Jacoby Stevens so far has had a better season than Grant Delpit. I'd have to agree. Uh, Jacoby Stevens has been everything we've needed him to be. He's been that Swiss army knife. Who's come in to, he's been able to play linebacker. He's played safety. They're now talking about making him the corner so they can push Fulton into the middle at nickel corner. Right. Stevens has been that dynamic player that he was advertised to be, but he's been more impactful than Delpit. And I don't think Delpit's been bad, but he hasn't made those big plays that he made last year. And he has missed some tackles, which last year, I don't think he ever missed a tackle. I I could be, of course, misremembering that because you tend to blow guys up into mythic proportion. Right. But this year, I mean, he's missed a tackle almost every game. Mm. You think that's a pressure thing? I think part of it is. There is an element of guys reading their own high, reading their own clippings. (laughs) I know they say, oh, I never read the media. I don't pay attention to that stuff. We're all focused. And that is a load of baloney. Yeah. (laughs) players devour that stuff coaches devour that stuff you can't play this sport at this level with this level of attention and not be caught up in to it at least a little bit yeah i mean even a guy who was seemingly incredibly humble like devin white who really did seem like an aw shucks small town kid Mm -hmm. even he knew what his image was right and so we played into that. Yep. And these guys, they know. And I, I think Grant Delpit saw that people were talking him up as the best defensive player in the country, and a, you know, a possible winner of the Butkus Award. And he just hasn't played at that level. He hasn't been bad. It's not like Grant Delpit's out there making huge mistakes. He, he got trucked on that one play in the Texas game. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, even the plays he's missed, it's not like it's cost LSU anything. Right. But he hasn't been great he's just not flying all over the place like we expect yeah where you where he just kind of magically appears and just makes plays and look look it's a long season and i think something i kind of wanted to get at when i was writing this week about the 2013 defense is the 2013 defense was terrible in september it actually got better but we don't remember because they lost yeah so they lost control of the narrative so grant delpit has a great october and a great November and makes big plays against Alabama, Mm -hmm. Auburn, Florida. I don't think anyone's really going to remember a shaky September. I think it'll just be like, oh, well, there are some growing pains because everybody was hurt and, you know, whatever. But if he doesn't have a big game against Auburn or Florida, I think that narrative becomes a train and he can't overcome it. And he just kind of gets run over by that. It just gets formed. And again, we talk about the momentum of a team. It's the momentum of a narrative. And that's if he'll just be class. Oh, he'll, he just had a disappointing junior year because he was looking at his draft status. Yeah. What's what's the problem with Grant Delpit? Mm-hmm. And then Grant Delpit realizes, oh, I have to come back for my senior season. No, he's not coming back for a senior year. Don't don't. You don't <laughs> I mean, think as, so? much as, I would, as much as I would love for him to come back, he is not coming back for a senior year. He is. You think if the rest of the season goes the way that September has gone for him, that his draft stock might plummet enough that he would have to consider that. Uh, I still think he'd be a first round pick. Hmm. Uh, He is, he is too much tape and he's done too much. He's done too much already. I got you. He was so good as a sophomore. 
You know, he was impactful as a freshman. And once again, it's not like his tape is bad in his junior year. It's just uh, it just highlight reel. Yeah, it hasn't been at the level. And I think what will happen is he'll make a couple of plays and it'll contribute to it. And scouts will be like, okay, well, he still did X, Y, Z. We know he can do these other things. This is just a matter of a guy who was had one foot out the door. And so and that's a way that narrative can help you. Because I don't think scouts punish you that much for looking at getting paid. Yeah. Everyone on that, at least particularly on the NFL side, knows what the game is. So speaking of defenses, what do you think ours is going to do against Utah State? Because the word on the street is that they're faster tempo than LSU has been up to this point. That is the word on the street. Utah State, they pass the ball a ton. They gain a lot of yards. They're ninth in the country in total yards per game. They average 533 yards a game. Here's the thing is, they average 6.5 yards a play. To put that in perspective, LSU is third in the country in total yards per game, 563. LSU averages eight yards a play. Mm. So essentially, Utah State is keeping pace with LSU's offense, even though it's gaining a yard and a half less per play by virtue of how many plays it's running. Right. So that gives you an idea of what their tempo is. They, they're they in the top 20 in total plays run. They sprint up to the football. There's no way around it. Utah State runs a fast offense. I don't think it's that efficient. You know, that's the kind of the, the buzzword in, you know, college football for a long time now. Right. Is, you know, everyone talks about efficiency and trying to – what you do on a per-play basis more than what you do on a uh, – you know, aggregate basis. Right. That said, their stats are also a little bit misleading. They gained 717 yards against Stony Brook, who we all know has a fantastic baseball team. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> but I'm really not that impressed by gaining 707, uh, 717 yards against the Stony Brook football team. That's right. just not, that's not a live opponent, even for Utah State. We tend to think of Utah State as a small little school, but they are they were a borderline top 25 team going into the season. Yeah. This is a really good program. They lost to Wake Forest to start the year. Uh, their opener, season opener, they lost 35 to 38. To give you an idea, in that game, they ran 79 plays. They gained just shy of 600 yards, seven and a half yards of play. So 416 of those in the air, 180 on the ground. I mean, this is a team that can move the football. They only lost by three at the same time. It's Wake Forest. Yeah. Wake Forest isn't bad. They're a middle-of-the-pack ACC team. But if you consider yourself a top 25 team, you win that game. And then the last two weeks, they just haven't looked as impressive as they did in those first two games. Uh, San Diego State, they won, but it was 23-17. That's – I mean, San Diego State, again, that's – that's a really good team for that level. Right. We're, we're talking about the mid-majors, but San Diego State's traditionally a really good mid-major team. They only average about five yards of play in that game, less than 100 yards rushing, less than 300 passing. Again, they ran 74 plays, but only gained 375 yards. That's not going to get it done against LSU. I'd like to think LSU has a better defense than San Diego State. Mm. Can we can we please have a better <laughs> defense than San Diego State? And then they followed up last week just shy of five yards per play against Colorado State. And Colorado State got their doors blown off by Colorado. So it's not like Colorado State is as good as we've seen some Colorado State teams in the past. And Utah State won that game 34-24. Again, you know, they put up some points, but, you know, not this awe-inspiring number. In that game, they did run 89 plays. That's that's a boatload. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you run 89 plays, but they ran 89 plays and only got 204 passing yards, 240 yards on the ground. That is not quite what you want to see if you're running, you know, 90 plays. Lots of low and, yardage or no yardage plays. Yeah. And Jordan Love, who's gotten a lot of hype going to that game, you know, it, going to the season against Colorado State, he was 17 of 33. Mm. Um, that's just above 50%. Through 200 yards, you know, that's okay, I guess. 
I mean, like if this was an LSU team, I'd be like, oh yeah, 200 yards. He had a great game. But for guys <laughs> being hyped up as, you know, this tremendous quarterback, I'm not sure I see it. Yeah. You know, he lit up Stony Brook. He had a really good game against Wake Forest. But his last two weeks, San Diego State and Colorado State, 6.2 yards per attempt in both those games. He's passed for just shy of 500 yards total. And San Diego State, he threw for, he was above 60%. Colorado State, he was at 50%. These are, they're okay numbers. It's not like you look at it and go, oh my God, he was awful. But at the same time, it wasn't, it isn't the kind of numbers you look at and you're saying, oh my God, this guy terrifies me. How is he playing at Utah State? Right. But so of course, I'm, he he sounds like exactly one of those kind of guys that. who's going to end up in the NFL as a starter in like four years. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's possible. And look, he had a great game against Wake Forest. He was thirty three of forty eight. I mean, that's near seventy percent. Threw for four hundred and sixteen yards. I mean, that, that's an ACC defense. So we just say what you will about Wake Forest. That's still a pretty good team, and he lit them up. Mm. He just hasn't looked that good in the last two weeks. So it's, is he the guy from the first two games against Wake and Stony Brook? And I completely throw out the Stony Brook game. Yeah. Or is he the guy that we've seen the last two weeks against San Diego state, Colorado state? If he's the guy that has played the last two weeks, LSU wins this one in a walk. Yeah. But seeing that he did do it against Wake Forest, he has the ability. He has the potential to have that kind of 60% game throw for 400 yards it could happen. But this is also a guy who throws a ton of picks. Uh, he has a, a TD to interception ratio of six to five. That's not very good. Mm. So I know he's the guy we got to worry about. And I want to respect the opponent kind of thing, you know, sort of like right. respecting the tide. And I know people who know a lot more about football say he's an NFL draft prospect. But I watched the game against Colorado State and I came away kind of unimpressed. But then again, he had a pretty bad game. And I'm looking at the numbers, and I just don't see where the hype is coming from right now. Yeah. And I guess the best way to say it is right now, if you look at the the national passing numbers, uh, passing efficiency, passing rate rater rating has its problems, but it's a pretty good blunt tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ranks 78th in the country in passer rating, and he's two spots behind Nick Starkle of Arkansas. Wow. And honestly, a guy I think he's just behind – he's three spots behind Bryce Perkins of UVA. That's a pretty good comp for him. UVA is a nice team. Bryce Perkins is a pretty good quarterback. He can make some plays here and there. He'll also make some bonehead plays. He's not that careful with the football. So I don't want to say he's exactly Bryce Perkins of UVA, but from what I've seen this year, they they remind me a lot of each other, and particularly looking at their numbers. Mm -hmm. Only I, I think Perkins is a lot more accurate. Actually, looking at their overall numbers, they're both right up, right around sixty five percent. So, no, they're they're just as accurate. So, it's just that they haven't played against a secondary like LSU yet. No, no, he has not faced a secondary like LSU. That said, he's probably faced a pass rush like LSU. If everybody's out, LSU doesn't have much of a pass rush if Lawrence and Chase on and Divinity are all out. Yeah. So that can play. So if he's allowed to sit back in the pocket. And he can get to our third and fourth cornerbacks. Well, now our third cornerback is going to be Fulton. Uh, good luck with that. <laughs> but if he can, <laughs> if he can go through his reads, I don't want to write the guy off. He, he's not without talent. Yeah. You, you know, he has had moments where he has shown some things, but at the same time, I don't get the hype. And you know, this is where we miss Seth because Seth might have broken him down and looked at film and said he can do X, Y, Z. Right. I, you know, he played the late game on Saturday night. I was kind of drunk at that point. <laughs> and by kind of drunk, I mean, I was really drunk. drunk. <laughs> I was, I was a lot drunk. There's, there's no way around it. I was sitting on my couch. I was seeing double. I was watching a pack 12 game that seemed like it was being shot from the stadium camera. <laughs> I'm finding out that that was real. Okay. The, the pack 12 thing was real. That, that <laughs> but when drunk, that really freaked me out. But he hasn't – he didn't impress – it wasn't like I watched him. I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a player. Right. And I think at the same time when I've seen Vanderbilt, I was like, you know, some of these guys can play. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been impressed by their running back. Their rece- you know, Lipscomb's a really good receiver. I'd seen him play. And we had talked about it beforehand. Hey, these guys, they can play for anyone in the SEC. I'm worried about these guys. Mm-hmm. 
I don't feel the same way about Jordan Love, gotcha. which of course now has doomed LSU <laughs> to give up. Jordan Love is now going to throw for 500 yards and complete 80% of his passes because that's the kind of role I'm on this year. <laughs> Speaking of 500 yards, that is what Joe Burrow said to the Vanderbilt sideline after the little uh, kerfluffle out of bounds during their game. Yeah, he was honored to play against them. Well, well that's my favorite. But that was the uh, no. But then there was the the hand motions that went with it. And what he flashed was a five and double zeros, basically saying, <laughs> "Now I'm going to put up 500 on you guys." He didn't quite hit a 500. It was a little around 400, but you know, he only did it in two and a half quarters. So give a guy a break. <laughs> Joe Burrow is wonderfully cocky. If he's got if the right he, balance of it, right? He's got the swagger that's got his teammates rallying around him, but he's right now he's got the skills. He's backing it up. That's the big thing. He's backing it up. I think that's the I think that's the key thing. He is backing up, and also I do think he's a, a team player. I think he's good about deferring credit to his guys. Oh yeah, uh, you know he's not, he's not like I'm the best, but he's definitely saying we're the best. Yes, and we're gonna roll you, and. LSU was needed that on offense. They have not had this kind of arrogance on offense since the Met show. Yeah. And he's better than the Met show, though he does not have as nearly the kind of ridiculous facial hair that Zach (laughs) Mettenberger had. Well, he did have the flow last year, but he chose to shave that off over the summer. I do like when they show uh, old clips of Burrow, you know, with, uh, when the broadcast will be like Burrow in high school yes. pass for this. And they show the old, the you know, the frosted tips. Oh, yeah. And just, oh, it looks so bad. You're, and, you know, he, he, you know, he records a game and he watches. He's like, oh, God, they're going to show that photo of me when I was 17. <laughs> oh, God. It's so terrible. Oh, my mistakes are for everyone to see. And now he he looks kind of suave. He's yeah, he, he's like a little adult now. He's you watch him rolling uh, in his suits, you know, yeah, onto the plane and pregame, and he, he's a stud, man. Yeah, he's ready, and he's jumped up to I think a projected first round pick. All of a sudden, yes, that's what they're saying. God, that's crazy. He went from completely off the board to a first round pick. He needs to keep it up, obviously. Yeah. If he drops off, they will drop him like a rock just as quickly as he raised. But that is still incredibly impressive to go from really not even being considered a pro yeah. prospect. He wasn't even in the conversation. And I don't think he's going to go top 10, but he's now looking in the – he's definitely looking like a first-round pick right now. Yeah. So he has made himself quite a bit of money with his September. But October is mm. where things are kind of better. Because yes. Utah State is not a chump team. They they can play. They're they're three and one. They're and also we have seen I don't think they're in the Mountain West, but those teams in the mountain area, they can play and they can beat you. Yeah. And they're not the kind of teams that you can just kind of waltz in, show up and beat. This is not the Sun Belt. Right. <laughs> they're good. Now, do I think they're Florida good? No. But I do think they're better than Vanderbilt. Hmm. So it's it's enough to scare you, and that early start gets you a little bit nervous. Right. And I am a little bit sleepy, waking some stuff, you know, you know, pulling some sleep out of the eyes. They're they're going to need uh, Ed Orgeron to punch himself in the face and you know <laughs> down four Red Bulls if anyone read the article in the Athletic. Tommy Moffat's going to have to take a few more chairs to the back. He's going to have to take a couple of chairs to the back. I'm sorry. <laughs> take one for the team. That is your role as strength coach. That's right. <laughs> that dude's just insane. Just insane. All strength strength coaches are. It's, <laughs> it is on the application. It is, what is your level of sanity? You're like, um, none. I, I look up to George the Animal Steel. All right, you're our guy. He eats turnbuckles. And he has a lot of body hair. That's, <laughs> But yeah, I think Utah State is a team that LSU should beat. They should beat going away. Uh, <laughs> I don't, don't want to... Let's play... I wouldn't put money on this game. I don't yeah. know what the spread is, but it's definitely a game that makes me nervous enough that I think LSU is going to win, but I think it's going to be one of those ugly kind of wins where no one walks away impressed. Yeah. But we get into October. So I still think it counts as part of our October death march. Florida, Auburn, Mississippi State, I have 
less worries about after the way they get, just got pounded by Auburn. But I will say, like the Florida game, if I could trade Utah State to play at 11 a.m. to get Florida at 7, I will make that deal every single time. Yep. So thank you, Alabama, for complaining <laughs> about LSU playing non-conference opponents at night <laughs> and not conference opponents. LSU has not played Florida at night at home very often. Uh, we looked. I looked it up on Twitter. Uh, it became a thing. The last time Florida beat LSU at home, uh, sorry, the last time Florida beat LSU in Tiger Stadium at night was uh, 2009, which was a pretty rough year. If you remember, yeah. for, for LSU, it wasn't one of our better years. Florida was great. Yep. Okay. Before that, the last time Florida beat LSU in Tiger Stadium at night was 1993. Yeah. It was a, the 58-3 to game that Curly Hallman was the head coach. And if you have to go back to Curly Hallman, I don't think it counts. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. So some good news for LSU on the offensive side of the ball is that Ed Ingram has been reinstated and has been cleared to play for this game. It's great news, but the great news about it, the the truly great part for the team is that it comes at a time where we weren't desperate to have him. Yeah. Honestly, if there was a, like a, you know, rushing defensive lineman, they could bring back from arrest totally down with it. <laughs> is Trey LMFAO still out there? <laughs> Ingram, when he played was one of our best linemen. I think by all rights, he should be a starter by the end of the year, but he's got to earn his job back. Yeah. And that's honestly the best situation for LSU to be in because as much as we have talked about Burrow and the receivers and how great the offense has been, the real surprise of this offense has been the offensive line. Yeah. They have been, I don't want to go as far as terrific, but very good. And this was a unit that we thought was going to be the problem. Yeah. And at the very least, they have not been a problem. The question is, Ed Ingram's a guard and LSU was strongest in the middle. So the question is, if Ed Ingram can play center, that's pretty great. Mm. Um, though I don't think you move Cush over. You can move Cush over to a guard position. But Damian Lewis, McGee, which one of the two moves over? Who loses their job? Can either of them play tackle? Mm -hmm. I think our weakest starter is Deculus. But at the same time, the guards and the center, the interior of the line has been the strong point. So it's kind of hard for Ingram to come in and just say, hey, I want to be the starter. If Ingram can play tackle, that's fantastic. I think that's actually a quicker way for him to get on the field. Um, Rosenthal's played a lot. so And when you have a freshman that's getting that many big minutes, you know it's a job that's up for grabs. Yeah. But really, this just makes the interior of the line that much stronger. And nothing but good things for LSU. Yeah, I don't think the possibility of him playing tackle is far-fetched because all the reports is that he's hasn't been working out with the team, but he's been working out that he's, he's dropped some weight, added some muscle. He's more cut than he's ever been before. And yeah. as a result, he's quicker. So it could be that, like you said, moving him to tackle might be the fastest way to get him on and strengthening up the, the outside of the line. It's a big ask for a guy with some plate in a year yeah. to come in and say, hey, not only do we want you to play, we want you to play at a position you haven't played before. Right. That said, he's an athletic guy. I mean, he has talent, and that's where LSU, I don't want to say their need is, but that's where their biggest want is. Mm -hmm. Because the way the line has played, I don't really think it has a need right now. But you can always get better. This yeah. line is not so good where it's just, it's not blow your doors off good, where you're like, oh my God, I don't know how he could play in this line. No one could possibly be benched. Yeah. But, but at the same time, they've played well enough that it's hard to look at the guy and say, okay, which guy hasn't earned a starting job? Yeah. So that is the perfect situation for a new guy coming in because they haven't played so great that you can't imagine someone getting benched, but at the same time, they haven't played so poorly where you're just going to hand him a job, where you're desperate for him to come back. Yeah. You can ease him into the rotation. And honestly, you can try him out. Utah State, if he can play this week, I don't know if he is going to play this week. It'd be great if if he gets some reps out there just yeah. to see if he can handle it. Or, I think he's going to play. Or if McGee can go out there, or, you know, or Damian Lewis, just to see if anybody can do it. I think our biggest problem might be a backup center because that is really behind Cushenberry. There's really nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, Chase and Hines has moved from guard to backup center. 
but they are not confident. If if McGee could be the backup center while also taking on tackle duties, and that is a huge ask, mm-hmm. that'd be great. But I, right now I'm just spitballing of where does he fit into the line. Yeah. Or if even if he moved to tackle, could he let someone else take some reps at backup, uh, backup center? Because right now, if, if Kush goes down, LSU's got problems. Uh, I, I think that's outside of Burrow. I think center is the weakest part of depth on the LSU offense. This would be the game to try all that stuff out, though. Right. And that's why you play these games early is so yeah. you can play with the roster. And that's the mixed blessing of having so many injuries early. You get to play a lot of guys. Yeah. The problem on defense is no one has really stepped up and said, hey, you have to play me. I, I think Baskerville has. Uh, Clark, a little bit. So the linebackers have done a pretty good job of stepping up yeah. and showing they can play. But no one on the line has really made themselves you know, really. Sh- yeah, really said, hey, you have to play me. But the offensive line has been super healthy and playing really well. I mean, they've had some benchings, you know, because McGee and I, I think uh, – Charles was uh, suspended for a game. Right. You know, it wasn't a suspension. He just didn't dress out or whatever. You know, but they've been really good about being able to <clears throat> move guys in on the line. And line's one of those things that's better if nobody stands out. Yeah. Because when linemen stand out, it's bad. Except we do have to mention that Adrian McGee doing that <laughs> double pancake block. So amazing. Awesome. <laughs> so amazing. I enjoyed that. Uh, that is lineman porn right yeah. there. <laughs> I think my biggest concern with Ingram coming in this week is he's not used to the pace of the offense and can he hang with it? That's true. We don't know. Um, you would hope. And look, I know you, they say he's you know been working out and I'm sure he's in the best shape of his life just like everybody. Yeah. But it's one thing to say it and it's one thing to actually do it. Right. You, you can watch this LSU team practice and I know he's been, kind of been in the building, but it's a totally different world to actually do it. Yep. So we won't know until he does. So other than our game this weekend, what other ones are you looking forward to? Well, in the SEC, the big one is Auburn versus Florida. Yep. Auburn scares me. This is the the standard how Auburn is good. When no one is paying attention to Auburn, yep. they quietly put together a good team. They've got a great running game, really a deep stable of backs. No one particular guy blows your doors off, but they're all very good. And they've got more offensive linemen with more starts than you can shake a stick at. Mm. And also their defensive front seven is evil. That's a lot of really good things about a team. They are good in all the ways that make you underrated. Right. So they return to a freshman quarter. They have a freshman quarterback, so that kind of downgrades them. That's an obvious thing. They're good on the lines. And let's face it, no one knows linemen. You know, no one knows anything about line play. Right. And it's it's not sexy and it's not the highlight guys, but they're good at the thing that matters most because it's the building block of your offense. If you can't block, you can't do anything. Right. Same thing on defense. If you can't penetrate, if you can't put pressure on the quarterback, your defense is probably not going to be very good. And Auburn does those things. That said, Florida playing at home, and that quarterback been pretty good. Yeah. Philippe Franks is a guy who never really impressed me. And I don't want to cheer a guy getting hurt because that was just an awful injury, and that's terrible for the guy. But that might be one of the that might be a good thing that happened for the Florida program because mm-hmm. I think they've brought in a better player. And I don't think they would have been able to move on from Philippe Franks. And we don't know how they're going to perform against a team like Auburn. But this is definitely their chance to shine. And Florida has looked rocky in some of their wins, but they've been winning. And they did blow the doors off of Tennessee. And I know no one's impressed by Tennessee this year because they're Tennessee. And right. I get it. But at the same time, Tennessee and Florida normally play a tough game, or at least they have the last couple of years. Tennessee has gotten up for that one before they throw in the towel in their season. And Florida just blew their doors off. They destroyed them. Yeah. I hate to say it. I, I've been impressed by Florida so far, and I've been really impressed by Auburn. If Auburn can beat Florida in the swamp, national TV, I think Auburn is a legitimate national title contender. Yeah. And – if you know how much I hate Auburn, that hurt a lot to say. <laughs> that was really painful. But 
I, I have to be fair and say this is what I see out of this Auburn team. That they are – look, they escaped against Oregon. They could have very easily lost that game, but they didn't. And they're getting better. And that's scary. And Auburn's not going to be afraid of anybody. And in college football, that stuff matters. Yeah. Elsewhere around the SEC, um, Georgia's going to go to Tennessee. Georgia's going to beat the snot out of Tennessee just like Florida did. And Vanderbilt's going to travel to Ole Miss. Ole Miss, who got – man, this hurts to say while I'm talking about things I don't like to say. Ole Miss got robbed against Cal. Can we all agree on that? Oh, I know yeah. this is two weeks Definitely. ago. Ole Miss got robbed. I think Vanderbilt's going to go in there and just increase Ole Miss's misery. <laughs> I, I just think Vanderbilt's better. Which, you know, as an LSU fan, we're all about – Ole Miss being miserable, so yeah, we are about Ole Miss being, but I, it it hurts me to say that I think Ole Miss was treated unfairly because that's kind of getting credit to Ole Miss, mm-hmm. and I really hate saying that Auburn is a national title contender because, <laughs> ugh, ugh, that hurts. Then again, I think Bo Nix will ruin it by the end of the year. <laughs> Let's hope. So, yeah, I can hope, but I think Auburn's cruising for ten wins at this point. If they can beat Florida, they are – look, you know, we're looking like who's going to beat Georgia. Auburn could very easily beat Georgia. Mm. Georgia has not just – I don't know. hasn't wowed me so far. I agree. It's a, we don't know how good Notre Dame is. Yeah. I will, I will give credit. Notre Dame <clears throat> pulled away from UVA, and I think UVA is pretty good. So that was a good win. So I, I know Notre Dame's not bad. Is Notre Dame elite? Who knows? I mean, that's like getting to the is Joe Flacco elite thing. Let, Notre Dame's at least a top 15 team. And if you beat a top 15 team, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. The question is, is whether Notre Dame is truly on, you know, Alabama, Ohio State level. Yeah. Probably not. So maybe the Georgia win isn't that great. But if you want to spin it towards LSU, how much better than Notre Dame is Texas? Yeah, that's a, probably a fair comparison. And, you know, LSU, they only won by a score. I mean, it could have been two. But at the same time, it's not like LSU blew, blew Texas's doors off. LSU gets a few more points because it was on the road. Yeah. But I think LSU and Georgia have kind of shown to be on the same level right now. I have no problem right now putting Oklahoma, Ohio State ahead of LSU and Georgia right now. Yeah. Clemson, I might have a problem with it. But... Mm-hmm. As and... they do every year, basically. For the record, I did like North Carolina going for two. I just hated the play call. Oh, I, absolutely. I I'm a huge fan of try to win it right then. But running the option to the short side of the field, I, I don't know. Like The play they ran two plays earlier on that was stopped just short of the goal line, that looked like a great two-point play. It didn't yeah. work. It wouldn't have worked because they got stopped the goal line. But something like that, great two-point call. It, it just – if that would have failed, okay. But that was a play that just looked doomed from the start. Those options to the short side almost never work. And when they do, it's because you've got you've got certain personnel that just the majority of college football teams do not have at one yeah. position or another. I don't understand why they don't stretch the field more. And I, I like rolling the pocket. Yeah. But making it a pass play. But running it like that, it, it was just – and also, the, the North Carolina quarterback was much better as a thrower than a runner. And also, I was mad at that point. Cause, <laughs> look, so many times that game on third and short and fourth and one, they would run shotgun mm-hmm. instead of just putting the quarterback under center and just pick it up a yard. It, yep. it was driving me insane. I, I, blood was shooting out of my eyeballs. I felt like Madeline Kahn in uh, Clue. It was just like, <laughs> I hate her so much. So much. Flames, flames were shooting out of my face. <laughs> That's right. We've gone from Great Gatsby to Clue. <laughs> <laughs> Full service. Let's go to the questions. Let's go to questions. All right. And before we do that, I'm going to crack open another beer. There we go. <laughs> and and what are we partaking in this evening? Do we want to I am drinking, advertising to anyone? Yeah, let's give free advertising to a Texas company. I'm drinking the Shiner Oktoberfest. Oh, good choice. I love, because I love Texas, and I love October, <laughs> and it's all good stuff. So, And just in time mm. for it to be the first of October, as we it record. It is. It is delicious beer. I highly recommend it. 
everything from the Shiner catalog except for the Ruby Red because beer should not be grape flavored. Everything else is good. Now, I'm going to have to come to the defense of the Ruby Red. I think it's one of the perfect summertime beers, especially here in Texas, where it's so <sighs> god-awful hot. There's a certain refreshing aspect of the grapefruit, and I just don't find it overpowering. Like, uh, see, if, if it was yeah. overpowering, I, yeah, I'd be totally out on it. But to me, see, see, it, it comes across as enough of a hint that it's not disparaging. I don't know. Citrus and beer just really... It just hits my palate. It's just like, oh, it's all I taste is the grapefruit. It's too much. I'm, I, I'm with you. I like a lighter beer. If you can have a nice Kolsch, big fan of the Kolsch for the oh, summer yeah. beer. Yeah, it's a big that's a Texas thing. But uh, yeah, I, I can't stand the Ruby. Also, now that I said the Ruby Red, that is actually not their worst beer. They have one other bad beer. They made a uh, barbecue flavored beer, which almost tastes like barbecue sauce, and Ew. it's oh, it's god awful. And I forget the name of it, but. Yeah, it was a good idea, poorly executed. It's well, not good. I'm glad I almost, never partook of that. But still, I'm a big fan of Shiner. The Shiner Bach, fantastic beer. That's kind of my go-to if I'm drinking beer yeah. and I don't know what I want. I always call for the Shiner Bach. Big fan. Yeah, Shiner Bach, when I, back when I was drinking, since I'm no longer allowed to for medical reasons, uh, that was like the baseline beer for me. Yeah. If, if no, I was no. trying, you know, craft stuff... It had to be at least as good as the Schneiderbach for me. That's exactly. And once again, it, it looks dark, but it's actually a very light beer. It's very drinkable. Big fan. Yeah. So. And to give a shout out to Louisiana, still love the Abia. So oh, don't. Yeah. So I'm not trying to disrespect the Abia. It's just harder to get here in Dallas. So. First craft brew I ever had was Abia Turbo Dog. Ah, nothing but good memories of the Turbo Dog. Yep. All right. Richard Pittman wants to know. Who is better, Juliana Hatfield or Kay Hanley? This has led to a long Twitter discussion. <laughs> yes, um, it did. Uh, it, it did. Uh, Richard's a good friend of mine. And first off, I'd like to point out that it's kind of interesting that if you would have asked me in 1995, who would have more influence on current music in 2019, yeah. Nirvana or Throwing Muses, the fact that the correct answer is probably Throwing Muses is amazing to me uh-huh. because – Grunge had its moment and then kind of fizzled and died. But that Boston power pop scene is kind of still has a little bit in pop culture. I, people don't realize it's the germ of every of a lot of things, but yeah. it has a lot more influence than you think is kind of thing. I was never a big Juliana Hatfield fan. I'm sorry, Richard. I, I, I know Richard's a big <laughs> fan and he's the father of Anna Valley Shook. He brought me over originally. We go back, but Kay Henley, I mean, she was in Letters to Cleo, and she gets points because she did the soundtrack for Josie and the Pussycats, uh, which is, A, one of the most underrated movies of the past 20 years, and B, has a fantastic soundtrack. And if you can't find the soundtrack uh, on YouTube, the band Charlie Bliss, speaking of Power Pop, did a set as Josie and the Pussycats playing the soundtrack for a Halloween show, it is one of the greatest things on YouTube. Mm. Once again, circling back to terrible things we've watched on YouTube, <laughs> there are some good things on it. So I have to go with Kay Henley because she has become kind of like one of those songwriters of the stars yeah. kind of thing where she's she's not famous, but she's written a ton of music that you don't know you know. Right. <laughs> and um, also Letters to Cleo, uh, Aurora Gorealis is a fantastic album – and you should go buy it or at least stream it on Spotify and try it out. It was fantastic and it was unfairly overlooked in its era. So Kay Henley, I'm on your team. You're great. But so is everyone from the whole Boston power pop scene. Throwing Muses, great band. And I just want to give a little shout out to Richard because I love his Twitter handle. I like beignets. He does like beignets. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's not to like about beignets? I mean, come on. His, da- his daughter has a beignet t-shirt. that like, It has like a little beignet on it. I think it's the beignet saying, I'm delicious or something like that. <laughs> and it's true. It's beignets, true. It, if you don't like beignet, you're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kelly Creech wants to know, tell us the story of becoming the school that always wear whites at home. You know, I need to do more research on this one. And this is for real because I'm doing my history project. 
I honestly don't know why we always wore white. It was just a, it's just a thing. LSU was more because back in the day it wasn't standardized. You could just wear whatever color right. and you kind of came to an agreement. And if you go all the way back to 1893 in our first game against Tulane, everybody wore gray and they put ribbons on themselves and we got purple and gold ribbons and they got green and white because it was Mardi Gras colors. Right. So even in the beginning, white was not one of our colors. So somewhere along the line, white gets introduced and it becomes a thing. But I know it was a big deal come the eighties when they standardized everything and said the home team has to wear dark at home. Yeah. And if you've ever met an LSU fan and you are an LSU fan, even if you're young, you know that just unreasonably ticked us off because we hate people <laughs> telling us what we can do. So my gut instinct, and I don't know this, I do need to do research. This is a good question for like future, like real research. But my gut is it didn't become a tradition until we were told we had to wear dark jerseys. And then it became an FU to the NCAA. Yeah. And when Jerry DiNardo became the head coach, one of his big things was he found a loophole in the rule that allowed LSU to wear white at home if the visiting team agreed. Mm-hmm. And that kind of made him a hero at the time. And that was honestly the bring back the magic game. The reason it was called the bring back the magic game before it was even played was because LSU was going to wear white at home for the first time and since they had changed the rule. And I yeah. don't know when the rule actually changed. And I love the sheer gall of Jerry DiNardo to call it the bring back the magic game before we won. Yeah. But he was bringing back because he was bringing back the white jerseys, which somehow were magical. But I think it, you know, I, I honestly think it had to do with early eighties. I, I think that's somewhere when the rule changes and I haven't gotten to it in my history series. And let me tell you the 1980s and LSU football are certifiably insane. Yeah. I, they are crazy pants. It is the great Chinese curse of, I hope you live in interesting times. <laughs> that is LSU in the 1980s. Yes. Uh, my first LSU football game was the Tulane game in 19, I think, believe it was 1991. I was 10. And so, so, because my birthday is in December, usually the college football season is over before my birthday except for you know well nowadays we have championship Saturdays and and whatnot but before all that happened you know college football season was generally over the week before my birthday so I I'm pretty sure I had to this had to have been 1981 then and I distinctly remember watching them because this was the era of the tearaway jerseys tearaway jerseys are awesome yeah I, I distinctly remember you know my dad and I got there really early and we watched the equipment crew prep the sideline. And one of the things that comes rolling out of the gate is this rack, rolling rack of jerseys. And they were all white. Oh, now let's see. I'm, just to do a little bit of research, I pulled up 1981. November 28th, 1981, LSU played at Tulane. Okay, so it must have been 80 then. I and, lost 40, and lost 41 to 7. So, hey, look, we're... We are here to fact check. Let's see. I'll back up to 1980. Let's see if that che- um Well, we did play at home against Tulane, but it looks like November 22nd. We won that. So hang on. I want to check if it was 82. See if we played in, in December. So this yeah, is that was a- being almost 50. Yeah. No, everything is ruling Jim. Yep. If we lost, if we won, it was 1980. If we lost, it was 1982. Because in 1982, that's when LSU lost to Tulane after beating Florida State in the Oranges game. Yep. And we don't like to talk about that. No. Uh, I mean, we like to talk about the Oranges game because that was awesome. Dalton Hilliard ran for like 5 billion yards. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, late near – it was November, late late November, LSU lost to Tulane 28 to 31. And that was a probably – I don't want to say the worst loss in LSU history, but it was it was up there in the eighties. Yeah. Losing to Miami of Ohio was I think the worst loss of the eighties, but Yeah. That, yeah. I don't I even remember what with that you, one. Yeah. Until the bottom fell out. Then everything was bad. All right, so uh Volger Tommy wanted us to talk about Jordan Love, but I think we pretty well covered yeah, that. Yeah, I earlier. mean I, 
he didn't impress me. There was when I watched the game once again, very drunk, but nothing about him just jumped out of like, oh my god, this is. He threw a lot of passes. I don't think he's terribly efficient. Throws a bunch of interceptions. He doesn't really have a great yards per attempt. I think he's a good quarterback, but I don't think he's a great one. But he has the potential to have a big game, and you always have to be worried about that. Yeah, yeah. Tommy said, you know, people are talking about how he's a top five quarterback in the draft, and we just don't see don't that see yet. Hey, look, Daniel Jones went in the first round. So what do I know? Yeah. So. All right, Bill Hilliard wants us to talk about Birds of Prey. Oh, we could do a whole podcast about Birds of Prey, right? <laughs> we probably could. I mean, I. on Oop. the one hand, you, you want to start with this? No, uh, go ahead. Because you, you sounded excited on that one. I'll let you jump in. Well, I was just going to say, welcome, everyone, to Chris and Poser's DC Comics Therapy Hour. <laughs> That's right. Okay, first off, I'm really happy Harley Quinn's getting her own movie without Joker. Yeah. Harley Quinn's a great character. I really enjoy her. Uh, Margot Robbie is fantastic as her. Okay? Can all agree on that? Sure. We're good? Okay. She's not in the Birds of Prey. Yeah. Right? She's not. <laughs> uh, it's just simple as that. Um, yes. The Birds of Prey, simply put, are Oracle, Black Canary, the Huntress, and Blackhawk. Yes. That is the foundation of the Birds of Prey. Now, I'm willing to concede if you don't want to have Oracle, you can have Batgirl because Barbara Gordon, Gordon, same person. Yeah. It depends on how you feel about the killing joke. All right, right. fine. I, I can do Batgirl instead of Oracle. But that is the Birds of Prey. And to be honest, kind of the star of the Birds of Prey is Black Canary. Can mm-hmm. We can agree on this as dorks. As... I've always been a big Huntress fan, too. She was, I do like That was I, one I of my go-to like comics in, like, what was that, middle school, early high school kind of thing. I like her, but this is sort of like in the X-Men, my favorite character is Nightcrawler, but I understand Wolverine is the is the show. Yeah. Black Canary is kind of the star of that comic. And I'm hoping Black Canary is in the movie. I, I don't know how they've cast it. Yeah, me I'm, I'm hoping she gets a big role. But Margot Robbie is going to suck the energy out of every out of the room. I mean, she's the big star. Mm-hmm. And they become the su- supporting players for Harley Quinn, who... Again, not in the Birds of Prey, and has a great team up because Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy together is like the most delightful thing in DC Comics. Yes. If Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are having their friendship, you know, maybe lovers thing going on, it is fantastic. I will read anything with the two of them hanging out, but it's not Birds of Prey. Right. Birds of Prey should be its own movie. Yes. Agreed. And this just goes to show how terrible DC is at everything. Oh, Lord. Yeah, there's a... I read an article just yesterday about what happened to the comic book industry. And one of the lines in it, I think, speaks volumes, is they got out of the comic writing business and into the brand management business. Oh, God, it's the worst. And what's good about Marvel, and they're still pretty good about this, They'll still do their big crossover stuff. And you can see when they're doing stuff for brand management and trying just to be, you know, capital M Marvel and they're just churning out content for future movies. Right. On the flip side, that allows them to put out books that don't sell very well, but are incredibly popular amongst comic nerds like us that are staffed by brilliant writers and great artists that don't need to sell in order to make an impact and they run for these really limited runs and they're great. I I mean, this is where you have the Hawkeye series. You have the silver surfer run with a slot and all red. You have the vision by Tom King, the mockingbird series. That was, uh, you had the famous t-shirt of, uh, uh, asking about my feminist agenda, um, which got them in a lot of trouble. You can have the brief comeback of Howard, the duck, or you can have squirrel girl, those little books which don't sell great but are truly marketed to comic fans and Marvel knows they don't need them to sell well because their biggest crossover is going to sell a gazillion copies yeah. is great. That's what you should do. The home runs allow you to do your vanity projects. And as a nerd and a, you know, a comic book fan, I don't mind those big crossovers. I, don't, I tend not to read them. 
Yeah, because I haven't read any of the major titles in years. All the but, all the more interesting stuff is is the the lesser quote unquote lesser characters. Yeah, like Moon Knight has been amazing. Oh yeah, the Moon Knight when, when they relaunched Moon Knight, uh, what was it four years ago or five with both Bendis? Yeah, that was and, fantastic. Bendis, and then Warren Ellis. Yeah. Warren Ellis Moon Knight for like four issues. It was amazing. Yeah. And then I forgot who picked it up, but. They're doing crazy stuff with that because they've really leaned into the schizophrenia and you don't know what's real and what's not. Yep. And he might not even be a superhero. He just might be a crazy guy who's just wandering Imagine around. Well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fantastic book. And what's great about it is they're permitted to do that kind of stuff. They're allowed to play in that sandbox because they're making millions of dollars off of Avengers Endgame. Right. And DC, because they don't have a hit they haven't been able to have as many of those cool little series. Now the recent Mr. Miracle by Tom, you know, I said Tom King, he did the vision. He did his Mr. Miracle series. And that's one of the best things I've ever read. Came yeah. out this year. I think it won the Eisner. If you only read one comic book this year, go get the trade pap- paperback of Mr. Miracle. It's fantastic. With, uh, I believe that was the one with art by one of my favorite artists, Mitch, uh, Garads. Yes. Yeah. And, the fact that DC has been able to do a book like that shows that you know they want to do this kind of stuff, but they haven't had that big hit that allows them to lose money yeah. on other things. And the funny thing is those books that lose money end up becoming the basis <laughs> for the movies in the future. Those are the ones that actually work. Yeah. Those are the storylines they steal because they're good storylines. All comes down to story. It does. I mean, like, does anyone think that the Hawkeye series that's going to be on Marvel is not going to be Kate Bishop? I don't think so. I mean, it's it's not going to be Jeremy. I mean, Jeremy Renner will be in it, but eventually it's going to hand off to the Kate hand Bishop. Off, yeah. yeah, and Kate Bishop is, again, delightful. Not as delightful as Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy hanging out together, but still delightful. All right. Lucas Jackson wants to know, if you had to have 1995 Curly Hallman or... 1999 Jerry DiNardo coach this year's Auburn game. Who do you choose and why? Dude, I would choose an animate carbon rod over <laughs> Kurt Hallman. I mean, what kind of question is that? I, like, I know things went bad for DiNardo at the end, and 1999 he got canned, and yeah, they lost a bunch of games, but. Do we not remember just how terrible Curly Hallman was? <laughs> and the 1995 Auburn game is like the worst game ever. That, that's that's the game in which Auburn had negative yards in the second half and still erased a 26-point deficit to win. Jeez. That's the six, that is the six-interception game. That is the game where Lynn Amity, after the game, said something along the lines of, well, I had a really good plan, but my quarterback couldn't execute him. Because I'm a grown man, and I'm going to blame things on a college kid. <laughs> I, ugh. Yeah, no, the answer is never Curly Holman. Never. <laughs> and not even close. He, Curly Holman is the worst coach ever. Okay. Vinny Barles wants to know, Chris Ash's buyout is reportedly $7.5 million, plus the rest of his season's salary. It's his fourth year. At Rutgers. Just how? Pay the players. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is seriously the best argument for paying the players ever, right? <laughs> yeah. If if Rutgers has $7.5 million to pay their coach, there's money to pay the players. I'm sorry there is. Oh, my God. Look, I know Rutgers is a hard place to win, and – it's not going to turn around now, and it's probably not going to turn around any time in the near future. But the least you can do is not spend $7.5 million on a buyout <laughs> for when you can your terrible coach right. who's inevitably going to have a losing record. Plan ahead, people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're Rutgers. You're familiar with losing. <sighs> That's it for the questions. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, in that case... Um, I hope you've enjoyed just uh, Poser and Chris, uh, you know, complaining about comic books and <laughs> maybe a little bit of LSU history. And if nothing else out of this, I've come up with a research project. I will find the answer to the white jersey thing because that's the kind of thing that's important to me. Yeah. By the end of the day, we're going to beat Utah State. It's probably.
probably not going to be close. And then, I hate to say it this way, then the real season starts. Yeah.